This is the Intoxicated Podcast. Intoxicated podcast. So we're excited to have, have you listening along with us. My name's Matt Salis, and my good friend here is Jason Polk. And uh, where should we start, Jason? Well, I think we should start by explaining who we are. That's a good idea. Yeah, Matt, you go first. Well, let's start at the beginning, I guess. Let's okay. talk about how we met. Perfect. Um, my wife, Sherry, and I have, for the last 15 years, um, what we've done for a living is we own a, a bakery, a little whole grain bread bakery. And at some point along the lines, how long ago was that that you worked for us? You know, I want to say it's probably like 08, 09. Okay. 010 or 010. So a decade ish ago. Yeah, yeah. You, you worked for us, but along the lines, your brother worked for us mm-hmm. and your uh, sister in law, she yeah. was actually my favorite. She worked yeah. for us for the longest <laughs> and was by far the most productive. And, yeah. Um, but so we've been kind of a part of each other's families for a long time through that mm-hmm. work relationship, and there was definitely a social aspect to that too as well. Um, yeah, well, and I, I worked for you because I remember at the time I just moved back from Philadelphia and I was in Denver. I was kind of uh, replanting my roots. And at the time, I was really into beer making. Yeah. And this was the, the beginning of it. And I, I worked for you, I actually borrowed a carboy from you to brew my first first batch of beer. That's so right. Thank you. That's right. This big glass <laughs> thing in our in the back storage room and mm-hmm. I didn't even actually know what it was. <laughs> we had we had purchased the bakery from another the original owner of it. And I don't know why he had that or what it was doing there, but you asked to borrow it and it seemed like an easy yes because mm-hmm. I didn't have a clue what it was. Yeah. So yeah. I, 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 at the time, you were really into brewing beer. I was really into drinking beer and <laughs> didn't care how it got through. Yeah, so. I was still into drinking beer there, I don't too. actually recall you giving me any of the beer that you brewed. Did okay, you? Maybe you I did. did. Did you? I did, oh, and I remember you said... It very good because I don't remember. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> but I remember exactly what you said. You said, oh, that was a good beer, especially for your first brew. Oh, okay. Yeah. Always always there to <laughs> to try to ask for a sample off of brew number two. That's what yeah, that was yeah, right there. Yeah, for sure. It was your first try. I bet number two will be even better. Yep. Well, we've come a long way since then, Jason. Mm-hmm. Um, well, so what are you what are you doing now? What what's yeah. what's going on in your life? So I am a couple therapist and I'm also an addiction counselor. So I work a lot with people who are having difficulties in the relationship, but also individuals who are struggling with addiction who want to get sober, and it's all the, the shame, the questions that come along with that. So I love being a therapist and I feel like I, I've found my my calling and I hope I can share some of that experience, some of that training for our podcast listeners. That's great. Yeah, Colorado so. Relationship Recovery is yep. the name of your business, right? Yep, that's the name of my business. I th- there are two things I really like about mm-hmm. your business. 
The first one is um, how well that's going to tie into the podcast. Mm -hmm. And your two areas of expertise are so related in my mm -hmm. mind. Mm -hmm. um, when you're dealing with, with people with relationship problems, there's, I, I would imagine, tell me if I'm wrong, often a, a uh, addiction component to that, is there not? Yeah, um, especially because I'm a, a licensed addiction counselor. I will naturally see couples where one partner is struggling with addiction. Yeah. And generally it's the, the I guess, sober, the more sober partner that drags that person into therapy. Yeah. So that comes up a lot. And so I'm also interested in, because it's such a complex issue on how partners can help partners get sober. Yeah. And I don't think there's a right answer, but I'm really looking forward to exploring that issue further in the future. Well, I think I think there's no right answer is mm -hmm. a big part of what we're trying to do here, and we'll yeah. get into that with this podcast, but um, if addiction was easy, there'd be a lot more sober people than there are. Yeah. It is so complex, yeah, for sure. and I know that's one of the things we want to talk about. Yeah. The yeah. other, I mentioned that there were two reasons that yeah. I'm glad that you are, um, you have your, your business, Colorado Relationship Recovery. Um, one is because your area, your topic kind of goes well with the podcast, but the other is because you have this sweet office that we get to sit in <laughs> that's nice and quiet and um, it's free from distractions. I have four kids. Yeah. Uh, so the idea of doing this at my house is just not in the realm of possibility. Mm -hmm. And the idea of doing this at my bakery is also not going to happen. So this is a sweet setup. Yeah. That got. Well, thank you. Comfy chair. I got a bubbly water here by my side. Mm -hmm. The temperature is a perfect 78 degrees or yeah, whatever it is. It's perfect. So, uh, yeah, thank you. Well, before, thanks for hosting. Yeah, well, Matt, I, I, I want you to tell us what you do and tell us about your blog, too. So, yeah. Matt does have an awesome blog called Sober and Unashamed, and he's had the courage to share his story and also some vulnerable moments, too, some very raw moments you share in that blog. And I encourage listeners to check out that blog because Matt's a really good writer. And it has, from the feedback you've got too, and it has helped people in your community. So that's great. But but Matt, tell us what, what you're up to these days. Yeah, thanks. Um, my wife and I are transitioning right now. We are still in the bakery business, but that's coming to an end. I don't. I won't go into that. That's a kind of a long, sordid tale. Um, but we uh, we are selling our business and kind of moving on, and. Um, I, I have been writing for, uh, well, I've been working on my writing for a year now, a year plus. Um, my kind of coming out about my addiction and announcing it to the world was with 3,000 emails that I sent <laughs> on January 10th of 18 this year, um, telling everyone that I knew, everyone who I could find an email address for, uh, that I was an alcoholic and that the, the steps I was taking to to recover from that and so writing has become a big part of my life and it's it's hopefully going to become an increasingly important part of my life with a 60 hour a week day job mm. um, I have to as writers always say I have to write in the margins um, <laughs> of my life and just find time here and there and once the bakery gig comes to an end I'm hoping to to turn my writing into something more and I don't mm -hmm. I don't know what that means I don't know I don't know if that means a book I'm certainly hopeful that, that that can be a part of it. I don't know if, if it means, um, you know, 
know, I've done some magazine articles, if it means more of that, if it means taking my blog to something different than what it is, if mm -hmm. it means teaching, if it means speaking. But I'm 45 years old, and I feel like my life is just starting, mm -hmm. and I've got this whole exciting adventure in front of me. Now, occasionally, people will remind me that I have four kids and a mortgage, <laughs> and uh, I'm not 21 years old with no responsibilities, and I've got to find a way to make ends meet, but um, I don't know. Part of this is kind of a divine intervention mm -hmm. piece, uh, just a faith in God and faith in um, that I'm doing the right thing for the first time in many decades of my life. Instead of uh, ruining my life, I'm going the right direction, and I'm just going to take it wherever it goes. So that's yeah. kind of the brief intro well, to me. That's great, and, and also how we reconnected, because I worked for you for long enough to borrow the car. Yeah, 15 minutes, I think. <laughs> I don't know. Did we even pay you? I don't even know. Yeah, you did. I oh. do remember getting paid, yeah. Good. Um, and the checks went through, too. So good, That's good. a good, good sign as a business owner. Yeah. So um, nevertheless, we reconnected because I was on your – I received one of those emails. Yeah. I was one of the 3,000 people you that's sent right. an email to. And I got it, and I thought, wow, this is really cool because I'm also doing my own journey with sobriety. And so that's how we reconnected. And I said, Matt, this is great. I'm so glad you're doing this. Me, myself, I'm also struggling with issues re in related to addiction. And I'm trying to be sober. And so that's how we reconnected. And I remember we had um, we ate lunch at that uh, Greek cafe. Yeah. Um, During a like, snowstorm. Yeah, snowstorm. That. Yeah, like eight months ago, six months ago. But... Anyway, that's how we reconnected, and that's, that's awesome. Yeah, and that's that's actually a great segue into my biggest kind of fear about what we're doing with this podcast. Um, at that first lunch, you had mentioned that among the things that you were doing related to recovery, you had this idea that you wanted to do a podcast. Mm -hmm. you, didn't, you didn't present it as something you and I would do together. I butted my nose into it and said, mm -hmm. hey, I, I, I want to be a part of that with you. Um, but so, so you were the first, you know, thought that I had had about a podcast. And ever since that initial discussion about it, I have felt like a fraud as it relates to this podcast. Now, there's a lot of behind the scenes work that you and I have put in. Um, we've had to figure out how to, you know, I know how to do a blog website, but a podcast website is way more technically different than I thought it was. There's obtaining the equipment and, um, the software involved with recording podcasts and the editing and the intro music and all that, that that you've done. We've gotten a logo. So we've just, we've put a lot into it and every step in the journey as we're spending a little bit of money and a lot of effort, I have just felt like what a fraud I am to, mm. to want to put this out there. Like who cares? Who is going to want to hear a couple of guys in their, well, forties now you're, you just turned 40. Mm -hmm. Who's going to want to hear a couple guys in their 40s whine about their, their addiction? <laughs> and I just felt like this is a complete waste of time. And then somewhere along the lines, a few months ago, you said something that really crystallized the, this effort for me. You said, you know, let's do this because think how much we can learn. Think how much we can do to enhance and advance our own, um, our own recovery and, and, frankly, our own professional lives. I mean, I want to be a writer and you want to continue to be a therapist that deals in recovery. And through this podcast, we're going to try to interview a bunch of smart people and 
learn different techniques people have used for recovery because it's not one size fit all, fits all, obviously. Um, so that has really helped ease my stress about this because I just feel like we're going to be, you know, screaming into the wind, you and I mm -hmm. sitting with our microphones and talking into your computer and nobody's <laughs> going to give a rip. But I now don't care if anyone gives a rip or not. I think the, the internal benefits will kind of outweigh that. Yeah, for sure. So well, that was huge for me. Yeah, and I'd like to talk on that. You mentioned being a fraud because I feel like we all have this as humans in certain aspects of our lives. For me, and this was a reason why my sobriety took so long, was the fact that going into AA meetings, I felt that my addiction hasn't reached the depths to be a member of AA. You know, like I, I thought going into those meetings was, you know, like I'm not that bad. Yeah. You know, like I don't have a job, then my wife left me. And so I felt like a fraud in that aspect. Oh, yeah. But you also mentioned that too, and this is the reason why we're doing the podcast, is we're sharing our story, but we're also sharing the fact that we are addicts. Yeah. That there is no shame in having that label because that label, and you talk about this too as well, that label was what ultimately got me sober, was I had to look honestly at myself and take inventory, yeah. as, as we say, and realize that I've tried to have been sober on my own for a while, and I can't do it. I've tried to manage my drinking moderately. I can't do it. Yeah. And so just coming to grips with the fact that, hi, I'm Jason, I'm an addict, yeah. right there. That was what springboarded my sobriety, and that's why we're doing this as well. It's ongoing. Not only are we going to learn, but it's also selfish on our part of keeping our feet to the fire. Yeah, absolutely. We're exploring sobriety. We're exploring recovery. And so that's another reason why I'm excited about this as well. Yeah, it's true. I mean, I was in the same boat you were. I, I didn't, you know, drink in the morning. I didn't miss work. I didn't beat my wife. I'd never been arrested. Well, I'd never really been arrested. I'd gotten drinking mm -hmm. tickets but um, in college, but um, absolutely couldn't agree with you more. I would I would quit for some period of time, and then I'd be like, you know, I'm not really an alcoholic. I'm not that kind of an alcoholic, so I'm going to go back and hit it again. And I hope, you know, I just got done saying I don't care if anyone listens to this or not. It's the internal learning that's important. But I, I, I do, I hope we reach people mm -hmm. that drink on a daily basis and it's causing problems in their lives and it's causing them anxiety and they don't think they're alcoholics because they don't have all the, the chaos and turmoil um, that's outwardly visible. And I hope they hear a couple of guys saying, you know, you can stop drinking before you get to that. Mm -hmm. That's coming eventually. Mm -hmm. um, but you can get off that bus before it drives off the bridge if you want to. Mm -hmm. Because I think that's what both of us have done. Yeah, for sure. Well, and also adding that, too, is that there's no shame in admitting that you have a problem with whatever it is, whether it's alcohol, whether yeah. it's porn, whether it's drugs. There, That is sanity, right? Like the definition of insanity is doing the same thing over and over but expecting different results. Yeah, baby. And sobriety is not a failure. 
it is an opportunity to live well, yeah. to live in accordance to our true selves. And so that's another motivation for me as well is to remind people it's like, you know, if you stop drinking, it doesn't mean that alcohol won, mm -hmm. that alcohol defeated you. If you stop drinking, it means that now you have this whole other life to live. Is going to be painful? Yes, because life is painful. But your life, if you stop drinking and you work a program, whatever your program is, yeah. I will guarantee it that your life is going to be better. Yeah, no question. I mean, that stigma that's associated with addiction, um, the shame, it's overwhelming. And it's, it's what I think a lot of people, they either haven't been too closely involved in addiction, don't realize, or, or just people that haven't gotten far enough in their own addiction yet don't realize is that the the shame that's associated and I'll say I think especially with alcoholism the shame that's associated with sobriety is ever every bit as bad and overwhelming as much as overwhelming mm -hmm. as the shame that's associated with making bad decisions and doing stupid mm -hmm. things while you're in active addiction and so there's a societal component to it right mm -hmm. I mean everywhere you turn in our society Alcohol is um, just lifted up on high as this great thing, you know. Um, the weekend's coming. Let's go to a sporting event and drink a bunch of beer. And, um, you know, you can't relax in the evening without the right scotch or the right gin or, or whatever your drink of choice is. So, and I'm not just talking about advertising. I'm talking about our friends, our neighbors. It's just cultural. It's just, it's ever-present for us, this idea that alcohol equates to relaxation and enjoyment um, so the idea of, of the shame that's involved in active alcoholism and um, having your life kind of unravel yeah that everyone gets that but the shame that's associated <laughs> with being the only one that's not drinking mm -hmm. in a party full of drinkers it's just overwhelming and it's such a hurdle to overcome mm -hmm. and I think it's the reason that keeps people addicted mm -hmm. it's one of the reasons that keeps them addicted um, well past the time when they've admitted that they need to stop mm -hmm. because it's just easier to keep going sometimes. Yeah, for sure. Well, and also, too, my, my own personal experience is that being uncomfortable at a party and feeling that social anxiety, you know what's going to fix this right now is alcohol. Absolutely. And you know what is at this party right now? Alcohol. Yeah. And you know what everyone is drinking right now? alcohol yeah so also another hurdle to sobriety so I'm glad you mentioned that so not only shame of active addiction but some shame in active sobriety yeah yeah and the other thing it, it takes a long time to overcome that I mean our brains get programmed mm -hmm. and they are really hard to deprogram that's one of the things I really am excited to explore with this podcast talking to experts in the field of brain chemistry and, and nutrition and how that relates to brain chemistry because once we've convinced our subconscious mind of something, good luck on convincing it. Mm -hmm. um, it takes a long time and, and it takes a lot of active effort, but it just also takes time. I've had stints of six months repeatedly where I was sober and I just didn't feel good at the end of the six months and so I started drinking mm -hmm. again. It takes longer than six mm -hmm. months, man. Mm -hmm. It takes a long time. I mean, there, I'm, I'm uh, coming up on two years now and there are still things that I can 
feel changing in the way I perceive the world and the way I interact um, when I'm in situations where there's alcohol. I mean, yeah, I can go to a party, no problem, where there's drinking all around me and not drink. That's not hard anymore. But um, but there, there, I had an experience not too long ago where it was just a crappy day, and we all have crappy days, and things just kept piling up and piling up and piling up, and none of them taken by themselves were significant. But when you added it all up, um, and I was at a red light on South Broadway, and I looked over to my left, and there's a bar <laughs> with an outdoor patio, and everyone's got a pint of beer in their hands, and I knew that I was literally three minutes away mm. from easing the pain I was in and fighting that off. That's harder than going to a party full of drinkers mm -hmm. now because it's the unexpected. And it's mm -hmm. so the point I'm trying to make is our brains, you know, we teach our brains to react a certain way and then unteaching it after our society and our culture has programmed mm -hmm. it that way. It's really hard and takes a yeah. really long time. And yeah. um, I, I'm looking to explore that mm -hmm. uh, with you on this podcast. I agree with you 100% on this, what you said, because I don't know if it's a societal thing or just what we do as humans, but whenever we feel discomfort, whenever we feel pain, our immediate reaction is almost like our visceral reaction is, oh my God, I got to fix this right now. Yeah. And what you and I have done for several years is turn to a substance, turn to an escape, to fix that pain because that's what we do as humans mm -hmm. that's what we do in our society is look for that quick fix mm -hmm. so I like what you said so diving into that unraveling that and also learning to have delayed gratification I'm gonna feel like garbage right now but you know what's gonna happen tomorrow I'm gonna feel way better than if I drink. Yeah. Yeah, so kind of unraveling that too is like we're so used for the quick fix, but what we end up doing going for the quick fix, we end up shooting ourselves in the foot the next day. Yeah. Right? And then we and, continue and the often cycle. For days and days and after days that. And days and days and days. That shame doesn't go away fast. Yeah, and then what happens? We feel bad too. And so what do we do with the guilt? We continue to drink yeah. or continue to do whatever it is. Yeah. And so looking into that cycle. And I like what you said, looking into our societal norms that we have to feel good 24-7. Yeah. That's not... That's. I don't think that's the way it was meant to be. Yeah, I used to sure. think that was the way it was yeah. meant to be, but I think I think there there are reasons why there are a dozen or more emotions that, that we as humans experience. And I, mm -hmm. I think we get so fixated on happiness. That's just one of them. There's, you know... It, there are times when you're supposed to be sad and there are times when you're supposed to be angry and depressed and learning to live with that is really really hard when you've done nothing your whole adult life but medicate that away mm -hmm. um, I it, the word recovery bothered me for a long time because I when I was in early sobriety I would say well aren't, aren't I going to be recovered someday <laughs> why do we just say mm -hmm. why does a, a, a alcoholic with 25 years of sobriety say they're in recovery haven't they figured it out yet but it has occurred to me I'm looking at the word all wrong but I think I think a lot of people um, who aren't in recovery look at it th this way too it, it's you look at someone like they're broken 
Like they're trying to fix themselves just to get normal. And that's what recovery is, recovering from this lower state to a normal state. But I got to tell you, man, like I said, I'm coming up on two years and I've reached a point where I feel like what I'm going through is more of an enlightenment than a recovering to a normal state. I feel like because I'm learning how to let all these emotions wash over me and not try to make them go away, um, I'm learning to live in the moment and not wish things were better, just just deal with stuff as it comes. Um, it's opened up a compassion in me. It's opened up an empathy for other people and other people's struggles. It's made me less of a kind of arrogant prick that, you know, I always have been. Mm-hmm. I've always thought I knew what was right. And, um, you know, for a long time, I felt like I had to be in control of every situation. I feel like I've kind of shed that quite a while ago now. Um, but but this, this kind of openness to not just the feelings that are coming over me, but the things that are going on around me, it's kind of difficult to explain, but rather than recovering from a low point to normality, I don't know, is normality a word? I'm not yeah. sure. Yeah, well, I know what you're but saying. But <laughs> rather than recover to normality, I feel like the sobriety and recovery or, or enlightenment, as I, I kind of feel like it should be called now, it's taken me to a whole other mm-hmm. place of of just understanding and compassion and it's a super cool I feel kind of like a wussy talking about it but <laughs> it's a super cool feeling mm-hmm. and um, I mean I think someone in recovery should be celebrating that the, the experience mm-hmm. they're going through rather than feel shame associated mm-hmm. with it that's why I think dropping that stigma of shame is really yeah, really important for sure. so maybe in other words for you recovery means living well yeah yeah I, I guess that's living well living yeah. better than I did before I drank yeah for sure like when I was a teenager like a young teenager before I had experienced alcohol I was an arrogant little jerk <laughs> I thought I knew all the answers I mean all teenagers think that to some degree right mm-hmm. but that's all I've ever known thinking I knew all the answers and then you know in addiction it just stifles so much of your thought process and your growth that you just kind of get stuck there mm-hmm and yeah. so I'm doing some growing now in my 40s that maybe I would have done in my yeah. 20s if I hadn't yeah. been drinking all the way. Yeah, yeah. I got gotcha. you. Uh, but, um, but yeah, no, I agree with 100%. The reason why I said living well was because that is my definition of it. That's okay. what I feel recovery is, is living well. And I also feel that it's living in accordance to our higher selves. You know, I hate to like have this duality of you know higher self lower self but in a way it's like living in accordance to our calling to our duty yeah when we drink we are living in accordance to that small self Mm -hmm. i need to feel better right now and that is like a child throwing a tantrum exactly and i feel like that's what keeps us immature you know, they say, you know, you're the age you were when you started using. And I think there's something to that is that we don't really mature. We don't experience life, the ups and downs without that pseudo armor. That's alcohol. We don't let life affect us. We we don't like vulnerability. And so as a result, we don't grow as people. Our character doesn't continue to develop. Yeah. And it's gonna, I think it's going to be interesting along the ways not only to explore 
how you and I feel about that and how things have changed mm -hmm. in our lives. But to talk to other people mm -hmm. that maybe their addiction is different than ours, yeah. certainly their vehicle for um, recovering from their addiction in many cases is different than, mm -hmm. than yours and mine. Yeah. And um, just learning from them, I think that's the most important thing. I think we hope to bring selfishly to ourselves, but to anyone else who cares to listen, um, the experiences of other people, because the way I got sober and the way you got sober are different from mm -hmm. one another, and my solution is not the solution for everyone, and neither is yours. Mm -hmm. So the more people that we can talk to that have found unique and different ways to improve their lives and, and get into recovery, I think that just will be valuable to, like I said, anyone who cares to listen to us yeah. drone on from time yeah. to time. But nevertheless, I'm excited about this, though. Yeah. Absolutely. You know, I think one of the other things that listeners should know about us is um, how different you and I are, um, but we're kind of experiencing some of the same things. I mean, right right from the basics, you're tall, I'm short. <laughs> <laughs> you are. You have a well-groomed mustache, and I'm clean-shaven. <laughs> Check out the pictures on our website. You have short hair, I have long hair. Um you were a tremendous athlete in high school and even into college, and I was mostly this dumpy little uh, rat boy. So um, there's a lot of things that separate us, but the, the struggles are the same, even if, even if the addictions are a little different. Um, so I, I think, oh, uh, a big one. I am Christian. You are a Zen Buddhist, and we both not only appreciate our own faith, but I think in the conversations we've had, I have a tremendous amount of mm -hmm. um, appreciation for your spirituality and your faith, and, and I, I think you share that with me, and so um, it just goes back to, man, there's more than one way to skin a cat. Yeah, My exactly. wife's going to be pissed that I use skin a cat in our first <laughs> broadcast because she's a cat freak. The day I die, that she'll have 50 cats in her house before I'm even in the ground. Um, she'll be the crazy old cat lady, but... Um, but yeah, there's more than one way to skin a cat, and we wanna we wanna explore that. That's kind of the reason we're doing this, right? Yeah, for sure. And that kind of goes back to being an adult, right? Like, <laughs> being an adult, we know there's more than one way to do things. Yeah. There's not a quote-unquote right way. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. So I think the the learning is going to be tremendous for us, and hopefully, you know, hopefully we can we have some things to share with the world. Um, one of the things that, one of the reasons you and I want to do this learning is I want to become a better writer. I want to not only have more credibility in my writing, but I want to, I want to be able to, to share my emotions and how they relate to what I've learned from other people. And I know that you're hopeful that this will really help in your therapy practice as well when you learn of the struggles and then the solutions that other people have. All that can do is make you more effective when you're dealing with the struggles of your clients, correct? 100% right there. It's like we are lifelong learners, and I want to be able to help someone who is raw enough to come in for help, that is raw enough to admit that they should look at this, or who is raw enough to admit that alcohol is causing problems in my relationship. Mm -hmm. And so when they come to my office, I want to help them. Mm -hmm. And this podcast is going to help me explore different ways that people skin a cat. 
quote unquote. Yeah, Sherry, did you hear that? Jason <laughs> said it too. Um, I'm not pro skinning the cat by any means, but anyway, like I have my own ideas because I, I I know what works for me, and I've seen what works for other people as well. But again, like I am not uh, a fundamentalist. I believe there's different ways to go about things. So I'm really interested in learning what has worked for people. And I'm also interested in hearing people's stories because that's how we connect with yeah, other maybe. people. That's right. Is hearing someone, someone share their story. So that's another reason that, that I'm excited. Yeah. When, we, when you hear some, someone tell their story and they might have you know, gone way further down the road than we did. Their addiction might be something totally different, but the pain is the same, man, mm. and the struggle and the the emotions and the shame and um, the challenges to getting into recovery, that's the same. And when someone else's story resonates, one of, one of the best books I've read, one of the stories I like the, the best, um, Caroline Knapp, um, Drinking a Love Story. It's a, mm. it's maybe the most famous um memoir about alcoholism there is and one of the one of if not the best written there's a whole section about anorexia in it and her struggles with anorexia i can't relate to that i've never mm -hmm. had anorexia mm -hmm. but but i can relate to the emotions that are uh, tied to it and i can yeah. i can relate to the struggle she had dealing with this thing that was taking control of her life and i can remember i've, I've read that book 10 times now and every <laughs> time i i get to the anorexia section i'm like maybe i'll just skip this chapter but I can't do it because <laughs> I just, even though the, the the mode of transportation was different, she's going to the same place. Mm, so yeah. um, that you you are spot on that relationship that you build and the um, the connection. It's it's huge. It's huge. Then the the other, I think selfishly, the other thing, the other reason you and I are doing this, is um, we don't want to backtrack. We don't mm -hmm. want to. I don't want to start drinking again, and, and you don't want to give in either. Mm -hmm. um, and by being active participants in our own recovery, by by talking about it and seeking answers and and uh, and continuing to learn and grow and find. I mean, you and I are both busy. We've both got kids. We've both got jobs. We've both got sports that are in our lives. And the idea that we're going to peel away time to mm -hmm. sit across the room and talk into our little microphones to each other. <laughs> Um, it's a huge commitment, and when we're making that commitment, I think it makes it just umpteen million times more difficult for either of us to give into our addiction again. Mm -hmm. So, podcast becomes part of our recovery. Mm -hmm. So, I think yeah. that's that's going to be not only it's not only going to be fun and learning and educational, but it's going to be kind of valuable to our continued existence. Yeah, if I can make that sound any more dramatic, I don't know how. Yeah, no, that that works. But I mean, that's the thing. We have to be active in our recovery. Yeah. Because although we know what happens down the path if we open up our addictions, although we intuitively know that nothing good is going to happen, mm -hmm. we still have those thoughts, you know, that programming of, oh, well, you know, like, I can do it. I, my, my whole weekend is free. Um, no one's going to find out. Right. I can just do it this one time. Yeah. You know, we all have that, you know, instant gratification programmed into our minds. That's right. So that's why we have to be active in it because, we again, like our higher self know that nothing good is going to come about indulging, opening up the pleasure doors. 
And so again, this is a reminder and hopefully a reminder for other people as well. It's that we sometimes romanticize whatever it is. Yeah. But again, coming back to it, it's that, you know, I may not feel 100% right now this moment, but it's okay. Yeah. And I know what's going to make me feel worse in the long run is if I drink or do X. Yeah. No, that's huge. I, uh, I still, I, I don't think this feeling is ever going to leave for me, Jason, that the, the euphoria that I would feel mm. sometimes when I'd be a couple, two or three IPA beers in to a drinking session, that just ecstasy, that, that mm. kind of weightless, careless, happy feeling. I'm never going to find that anywhere else in my life. And I've come to grips with that. Um, and that's a really peaceful thing. So, but so I've got to give up that perfection, euphoria, ecstasy, whatever you call it. And I've got to trade that in for, um, for peace and harmony and happiness all the time. Because the, the downside of that great feeling was just an awful, awful, just mm-hmm. wish death upon myself feeling and I don't ever want to be there again so so yeah it's just a constant reminder that yes I'm never going to feel that awesome feeling but I'm never going to feel the pits of despair either yeah well let me ask you this do you feel like you can find something deeper than that euphoric feeling I guess like deeper something more worthwhile than that euphoric feeling I'm just curious yeah I mean I think that's part of what we're doing here, man. Mm-hmm. I mean, I feel, and whether you want to call it divine intervention or mm-hmm. karma or, you know, whatever term you want to use, I feel like this is my calling. I feel like everything I've done up to this point led me here. Um, my, my owning of my own business carried different stresses with it than working a nine-to-five job. And some of those stresses caused me, and, and the fact that I didn't have a boss to watch over me, caused me to make decisions as it related to alcohol that I wouldn't have made otherwise. And maybe that sped up my alcoholism and got me to a point of what I considered to be my bottom and got me into recovery early enough in my life that at age 45, I can have this rebirth and make it my mission to try to end the stigma that's associated with alcoholism. Mm. And this podcast, it's just one component of trying to end that stigma, but but it's that depth that you're talking about. It's that meaningfulness. And yeah, I get it that I'm never going to have the euphoria of being three mm-hmm. beers into drinking into a drinking session, but I'm going to have this um, peace and serenity and, and satisfaction that I'm doing what I was put on earth to do now. Um, and for me, that's just, that's going to make all the difference in the world, mm-hmm. I hope, anyway. Yeah, that's great. Yeah. Well, I think... You know, from here, my man, uh, we should probably tell the world our stories, tell tell people um, how we came to, to get in, into the mess we got ourselves into as it relates to addiction, and then start to talk about how we how we got out of it, and um, bring people into the into the depths, into the deep dark secrets. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So shall we make that episodes two and three, let's, Jason's and Matt's story? Let's do it. Let's do it. Yeah. Awesome. Well, so we'll get those out there real soon. Um, 
timing and efficiency on I think I think the term Jason is that when things drop right when our episodes <laughs> drop exactly I don't think that's anything we're in a position to lock down now yet quite being newbies the way we are mm-hmm. but we're going to do our best and be regular contributors to the conversation and get episodes out there mm-hmm. as efficiently as we can yeah no I'm, we're, we're gonna drop them all right <laughs> all right that's awesome well so for the initial episode of the untoxicated podcast I guess we're signing off buddy 